Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Klepa, and this is another episode of the Effort Weekly with the crew from NC Fit, Matt DeLaValle, and Gabe Giannis. I love talking to these guys. Today, we dive into this idea of social media, kids and technology, getting a little bit uncomfortable. Of course, we dive into nutrition, a little bit of cryptocurrency, and we finish it off with this concept of no bullshit in your life, with which MDV in particular is super fired up about today, and I am excited for you guys to get into the episode. Before we get into it, though, I got to ask you guys a favor. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while and we've been adding value, I want to hear about it. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. It really helps us out, and we would greatly appreciate it. Secondly, if you're an athlete out there, and you're looking for the workouts that me, MDV, Gabe, we do on a regular basis, make sure you go check out the NC Fit app. We have a brand new program called NC Flex that just dropped, which is bodybuilding focus combined with this functional style strength. And we have NCX, we have NC Metcon, we have a variety of different programs depending on what you're looking for. So get fired up, use the same workouts that we do on a daily basis by checking out the NC Fit app, and let's dive into an incredible episode with the crew, Matt DeLaValle, Gabe Yanez, let's go. We're officially, we're officially, uh, officially recording. We are just discussing uh, this idea of social media, and I think you're right, MDV. I think a lot of people do shit on it, and frankly, to be honest, I probably uh, take that approach of like it could be very toxic. But you're right; it could be a little really. It could be really positive too. And I'll give you an example of something really positive after I hear about what you were going to say because I don't want to cut you off. Go for it. No, 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 no. Yeah. Tell, tell us about the positive side. Well, I mean, obviously from a positive side, uh, take, for example, the connections you could create. So when Ava got diagnosed with leukemia, uh, we met a lot of people through social media who were going through something similar. And all of a sudden it created this network of moms here in the Bay Area. And they then were directed to a Facebook group that was just for moms, just in the Bay Area, who were battling pediatric cancer. You would never have had that if you didn't have a social media platform. I think that in itself is beautiful because it's connecting people from all around the world who have similar interests. But then obviously there's the, the dark side too, Um, which is just getting way too wrapped up and your identity becomes part of, is your social media following uh, growing? If it's not, I'm not as happy. If my posts aren't as engaging or I don't get as many likes, I'm not as happy that day. And that becomes super difficult. Um, Anyways, I think it's a good topic of conversation to start with them. And then I want to talk about something about the podcast, but go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's an interesting one for sure. And I think it's incredibly, it's nuanced because it, it, it means different things to different people. You know, it's undeniable that technology plays a huge role in all, mostly everybody's lives today. And, you know, there's um, really good documentation about the downsides of this thing. And, you know, the popular documentary is The Social Dilemma that's on Netflix, which is a really interesting and scary documentary to watch and consume and to think about what actually is going on behind the scenes of some of these social media platforms and, and how they've been designed to essentially make you addicted to them and rely on them and feed into some of the negative aspects of human nature and our personalities and stuff like that. You know, I also think that it's undeniably a tool for communication and getting your message and your voice out and spreading the word and helping to grow, uh, whether or not it's a business or a personality or a certain culture, or if you want to get Um, something out there into the ether that you wouldn't be able to do with just your voice. This gives you a platform potentially which you can do it. Like you can put something out there that can go viral and you can reach millions and millions and millions of people in the stroke of a key that never existed in human history before. And I think that that's really interesting. Uh, I also think that, and you can recognize that there are extreme, extreme downsides to this thing that you can get wrapped up in it and you can become identified with your social media following and how many likes you got. And it can become all consuming. Ultimately you have to make that decision for yourself, what you want it to be to you and what you want to put out there in terms of your social media platform. You know, for me right now, I'm trying to grow my following. I I want to, I want to put things out that are hopefully motivating people and telling people about what the amazing things we're doing at NC fit and grow a voice in the fitness space because I feel like I have something compelling to say. Not everybody's going to love it and people can unfollow me and whatever, but it's important to me. 
I do balance that against how much time I'm spending on it and then how much it's influencing my personal life. I'm very aware of those things. Yeah. I think that's the key in itself is to be aware of, of that. Um, Hey, uh, Gabe, I, I'm sure you have some subjects you want to touch base on today. I just want to, sh- well, I mean, before, yeah. before we move on from the social media stuff, you know, I, I don't think it's so much that there's a positive side and a negative side to social media. I just, I think social media is just magnifying us, right? Like it's magnifying the fact that some people are insecure to an extent and some people are more secure to an extent. And, you know, Gary Vee talks about this a lot and it's, you know, with social media, we have thousands of eyes on us. And, you know, for some people, it just really points out the fact that, you know, they want that, you know, those likes and people to say that like, Hey, you're posting good stuff. And it definitely puts a magnifying glass on how comfortable you are. Like either, you know, in MDV, you just said this, like caring what other people think or not caring what other people think or putting stuff out there on social media that you're, you know, is really genuine to you or stuff that you think people are going to like. more. Um, I agree to an extent, but you're also playing a loaded game. Like, I think you have to recognize that this is not a fair game. Like there are algorithms that are feeding you things that will play into either the things that you really love or the things that you really, really hate. And they're looking to get visceral reactions out of people. That's oh, 100%. But I, I, but so yeah. that, that, that yes. you can't argue that that is not a, a downside because it's insightful. It's, it's meant to yes. be insightful. Yes, but to an extent, and Rogan has talked about this on, on, on his podcast, like his friend Ari, you know, for what was it, like a month, just looked at Puppy, puppies, yeah. just searched puppy videos, and he just got puppy videos. Like to an extent, like again, it's a magnifying glass of us because if you're constantly clicking into that visceral stuff, if you're constantly following things that are getting you all jacked up and they get you upset about, you're going to get more of that. And I think that, yes, there is absolutely some blame to these big companies, especially with what came out now. Like Facebook knows that this stuff is bad for people's mental health and they don't care. They're just like, we're going to give you stuff that makes you angry. Like that is all true. But at the end of the day, like we're clicking that stuff. Like we're interacting with that stuff. Like there's something about just us as a society that we have to, I think, look inward a little bit and be conscious that we also play a role in making that stuff go viral and making these platforms push that on us. Because, you know, we're, we're looking for it. How do you differentiate between what cigarette companies did in the 1980s yeah. and the 1990s to what social media companies are doing now? In which they There's are- There's a very, comparison very, they just had. They, they compared the two. Yeah. Well, yeah, very, I, but I think that- Advertising towards youth and, and creating advertisements that are stoking the flames of, you know, our kind of you know, masculinity or femininity or whatever. Dude, I think the the, yeah. the tobacco conversation to social media has been brought up, right? And um, I mean, at, at the end of the day, man, we've been talking, I think social media has a lot more pros than tobacco has pros, right? Like just from a like connection perspective, right? But there's, yeah. but there, it, there needs to be this reality that, hey, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. And I think our generation, like right, when we didn't have social media when I was younger, but these younger kids that are coming up, that, that's all they know. I do worry a little bit about what that looks like, right? I see my kids and we're pretty good about the phones, right? But I watch the way that TikTok in particular just drives them in. And then all of a sudden they'll be on TikTok for like, let's just say, I don't know, we give them like 30 minutes, right? Or, and this is not very often, but when we do, it's so engaging, captivating to them. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of addictive things about it. You know, it's tough. For sure. I, I, I just think that the conversation needs to be less about, you know, what these platforms are doing and, and, and how they're kind of rigged against us and more on like, you know, us being aware that they work in a certain way and like being able to do the things that help us have a better balance with it. And another thing that um, just I, I tend to be a more kind of glass half full kind of person, but I, I think that it's actually there's a lot of hope because we're just in this like very weird time where this is the only time in history where there is a generation that is growing up with social media raised by a generation that did not grow up with social media. And it's the only time that that's going to happen. And I do think that we're going to be able to do a much better job as soon as we turn the page. And now it's a generation growing up with social media raised by a generation that grew up with social media because we're becoming aware of it. I think that we, we get caught up in this 
they're like, it's only going to happen once. And I think it's just, we're, we're learning how to teach other people how to, how to use these things um, in a way that's more positive. So, and so I do like it happened once, but th- this has happened in human history a number of times. You know, when you talk about the printing press or you talk about the distribution of uh, mainstream media through radio, or you talk about distribution of media through television, or you talk about every technological advancement, you have this type of system in which one generation didn't have it. And the next generation does. And then the next generation that does have it has the generation of the person who didn't did does have it again. Like it, uh, at a mass yeah. scale, social media is very different than those other things because of the how prolific it is and, and how easy it is to spread data. So it's kind of magnified, but like, it's tough to argue yeah. that television or printing press didn't do the same thing. No, I mean, I think it's, I think it's apples and oranges. Like this is a part of us. Like this is like, we're literally now like just, you know, another thing that um, Elon Musk mentioned, like we are already what is it? Not, not cyborgs, but we're like, we're one with a computer, right? Like the only thing that's lacking is that like, it takes us time to interact with this, but I feel like it's, it's, it's really tough to compare all those other things to, to this now, because, you know, I mean, you look at kids now or even us, right? Like I I don't go anywhere without having this within reach. Um, And I think that it's very different because for all those other examples that you had, like you had to be by the TV, you had to be in the living room. You had to. You, it's not stuff that you could take with you. That was a I function that, of the technology, the, the way that it it changed and 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 interacted with different people and what it made them feel. I wasn't around at those times, but you can go back and you can talk to people who were, and that's some some of these things. You can read about how they influenced society and what changes they made. There there are some similarities. I don't think that it's completely different. I understand that this is one step away from being implanted in my brain with a microchip. Yeah. yeah. At that point, you know, we have something that I think is very different because then you become the machine. Yeah. I just think having that awareness, right. I, I do think one thing that we are going to have to have some reconciliation on here in the near future is the speed that information travels and how to determine what that information is legitimate or illegitimate primarily because I mean, think about like a printing press, right? If you wanted to get your article in a journal, You'd have to like make sure it was peer reviewed, make sure it was pretty legit. I mean, there's exceptions, obviously, but you wouldn't just be able to like write something, any Joe Schmo and getting in a newspaper that was publicized globally in general. What about tabloids? Well, okay, tabloids, but people knew those are tabloids and like, but but yeah, (laughs) but but like take for example, like uh, Facebook, right? Or any of these, like someone can write something, anybody. And it has the potential, I'm not saying it will, but it has the potential to go viral and be completely inaccurate or vice versa. It could be completely accurate and then be stifled or, or, or snuffed because it doesn't align with, with uh, the algorithms or whatever. So I, I, th- I do think that's going to be something in the next couple of years that I think people are going to become more and more aware of. And I think people like Joe Rogan are doing a really good job of kind of being more neutral and just having guests on to share insight and information because um, – and, and that's kind of like what we're doing here, right? Is that social media gives you a small glimpse into what someone does and who they are. But when you go longer format, you could really add value and share insight, which is why I'm so excited about this podcast and continuing podcasts. You know, I just got, I will switch gears a little bit. I just got a message from someone and he texts me, he goes, Hey, but I don't, I don't yeah, want to yeah, switch. What do you, you, you get, you get wrapped up and you want to move on. This is a really important and interesting topic. I mean, I, I understand it's uncomfortable, but I think we should talk about it more. I'm, you know, I, I disagree with this whole idea that like the, uh, the, the information is the, the issue. You can publish and write whatever you want. And that, that happened at all different types of periods and nobody stopped anybody from doing it. I think we have an issue with the speed and the access in which people are able to get things out. And yeah. you have to parse through and you have to be more intentional about looking at things and understanding, all right, well, what are the sources and what are the facts here? And that's much harder because you're just flooded with information nonstop. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. What, what, what is it good? Nothing. I, I, I mean, it's a really good information. It's a really good conversation to have. I do think that there's a big opportunity for the pendulum to swing the other way and how we 
you know, our relationship with these platforms and, and whether it's healthy, unhealthy and how positive they can be versus negative. Um, but I think that the first step to that is like you guys mentioned the awareness, um, but also like taking a little bit of responsibility that it's, you know, these platforms, A, aren't going anywhere. Um, B, I don't think they're going to stop being just for profit um, companies anytime soon. Like, I think the whole discussion about turning them into utilities, utilities. like, I, I don't think that that's going to happen. And, you know, if you keep those things in mind, I think we just have to start learning how to adapt to them and, and helping our, our next generation adapt to them. But that falls on our shoulders. And I think that we're especially equipped to do that because we're the first generation that like has spent so much time and has grown up with these and really understands how powerful they can be both positively and negatively. Mm. Yeah. On that note, right? Like take, for example, when we were kids, we had a TV, right? Of course. But like my parents would set specific guidelines on when you could watch TV or when you couldn't. Um, that was important. Um, but now with my children, I, I am aware of social media and I know the pros and cons, or at least I think I do. And so like our kids do not have their own social medias right now. Um, they don't have their own phones. Um, we're just in the discussion of getting my daughter a phone. She's 10. And the reason for that is that she's starting to go to like friends' houses or something. I want to make sure that if she needs something from us, she can get a hold of us. But I'm thinking about buying her a flip phone, you know, keeping it old school. And it's just because unintentionally, I think that uh, they're just going to get captivated by these things because you see it. And now they have iPads because you use it for school and whatnot. And we regulate the time. But I, uh, I think that's a conversation that people like our ages are having because we're aware of that. Whereas maybe our parents, when they as soon as phones were out, they got it for us. They didn't, they didn't know any better. Right. But now we know a little bit better because we've seen it. And so we can regulate it a little bit by creating time domains that they could stay in or getting phones a little bit more old school, like the old school Nokia snake phone, dude. Yeah, dude, I, that I was going to ask you about what the philosophy for you and Ashley was with uh, uh, Ava and Caden in terms of, you know, do they have their own phones? They have their own social media. That's got to be an incredibly hard position to be in as a parent, because I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of social pressure that gets imposed on kids at a younger and younger age to have access to these, to have unbridled access to these technologies to, Hey, I have my own Facebook. I have my own uh, Instagram. I have my own TikTok. You know, you see kids out there making some kids making millions and millions of dollars doing ridiculous things on not ridiculous things, doing things on TikTok and whatever. And I don't know where I would fall on that. I, I can't really comment on how I would act because I don't have kids right now, but um, that's a really interesting uh, angle on the conversation. Like where do you draw the line? How much access do you give them? Because yeah. I'll be it, honest, it is. if you gave me access to a phone when I was like 12, 13, 14 years oh, old, like, bro, you'd be all over you'd it. Be looking at everything and anything under the sun, you'd be Googling everything and access to all these websites that, I don't have to name that, you know, probably everybody spends time on. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so what we do just at a high level, right. Is the kids do have their own iPads and they need them. They need those for school, but they're linked up to Ashley's um, iCloud and stuff. So you could actually see uh. um, what is being downloaded from an app perspective. Then we have parental controls in terms of what websites they can go on. Now I'm sure that there's a way to get around those, but for now we have parental controls on the websites. We could evaluate because of the iCloud, what, apps are downloading and then they can text message from their or Ava can from her uh app uh her iPad but she has to be on wi I, uh on Wi-Fi at home and she doesn't have a phone uh, a phone yet now one other thing they did come out with which I thought was interesting is a watch and this watch is like an Apple watch but all it does it only has it only has one function it could call up to four people that's it you, you basically have this watch and you can hit one, two, three, or four, and it could call four people. So we had that for a little bit, but um, Ava didn't charge it enough, so it wasn't really useful. So we're thinking about getting her a, like a Nokia or like one of those like old school flip phones. But anyways, what we do is parental controls using the same iCloud, and then they have access to text on home. Because there's also, to your point, MDV, none of, they don't have their own social platforms, and I don't think we're going to be willing to do that for a really long time. But we also don't want them to feel outcasted either. So if their friends say, Hey, I want to, when I get home, I'm going to text you. And they say, Oh, I don't have a, I don't have a phone or I don't have a way of texting you. I, I also don't want them to miss out on that social engagement. So by using the iPad, I think it's a good balance of they have to be at home to use it. And something about that goes into what Gabe was saying about you have to be somewhere to use it versus always having it on you. 
Have you guys seen, and this is a little bit of a change, but it's kind of in the same social media and internet and uh, technology uh, topic. Have you guys seen the Amazon device that gives you feedback on the things that you have said throughout the day to other people? There was a commercial that came on. Um, I was watching TV one night and there was an Amazon commercial about this. Uh, it's either an app or a device that you wear or something. And like, it tells you about the, your, the health, your health throughout the day, like it, how many steps you took and what your average heart rate was and all this kind of stuff. Some kind of things that are in the whoop territory. But then it also gave you feedback on fucking things that you said. Like this, when you said this, it was aggressive. Like I was blown. No, no. Like, yeah, for sure, dude. I was blown away by that. I'm. I, I can't believe you guys hadn't seen that. No, no. Because this goes back to that. Like you know, if 10, 20 years ago, people were like afraid that like you know the government was going to put like chips on us and track everything we do. But like we're doing it ourselves. We were just like, yes, please track everything I do. I didn't see that, but I did see that Amazon's coming out with a smart fridge that'll like track the foods oh, that yeah. you buy and stuff um, and like recommend recipes and other food that you buy is, which for me and, and like, you know, my, how passionate I am about health and nutrition um, that's frustrating because I feel like it makes it that much harder for people to break out of bad habits if they have them um, because it'll always just kind of recommend the same, you know, junk that you buy, if you buy junk and just make it that much easier to kind of break those habits. But um, I didn't see what, what you're talking about. That's crazy. Amazon's a pretty interesting company. So last night I was at Santa Cruz University and there was an M&A guy, so a merger and acquisition guy there. And they were going over all the mergers and acquisitions that, that Amazon's been doing the last couple of years. And dude, it is wild. So they, they, they acquired Whole Foods. Uh, they acquired um, uh, MGM. Uh, MGM, I'm pretty sure it's MGM. And all these other micro companies. And they're just building this giant, giant, giant business um, in a bunch of different verticals. So I thought that was interesting that Amazon's pivoting to even things like this right um uh, anyways i i did have something to share if, if we're okay now with it's, that. Now All it's, right, is that okay um i just thought this can't was run super away cool. from topics bro this is the whole point no but, but this is kind of what this podcast is about is that i got a message we met in madison a few weeks ago or a few months ago the podcast on apogee and actin academy was an answer to my prayers it's been a long time coming me asking the question, how do I start a school that produces a different result for uh, American youth? This was the answer. Thank you so much for this podcast. It's changed my life, right? So I just found that to be super compelling. This person had my information. Obviously, they, they text me, but we put out a podcast recently on the effort of everything on this channel um, with uh, Tim Kennedy and, and Matt about Apogee, uh, Apogee Strong and, and Acton Academy. But that's the power of this long format conversation is that this guy is able, he was thinking it. And now we provided him a solution. Now he's going to reach out and hopefully start, start a school with these guys. So I had to share that because I felt like that's the power of what we want to do on this show is have texts like that. So hopefully if we share insight or something, message us because I'd love to be able to hear more about uh, the impact it's making. I think one of the uh, very, very topical and, you know, I hope this releases in the next couple of weeks so we don't lose the whole conversation about this in the ether, but you know, when Sanjay Gupta was on Joe Rogan and they sat down and had that three hour conversation, a lot of the, the post discussion has been from Joe at least. And then from other people who, uh, maybe don't necessarily have like a, a, a strong agenda. Right. And they're just commenting on the conversation was that these types of conversations with two people who might have differing points of view in long format are extremely rare. And that you know, this is, you're going to have real conversation. You're going to disagree on some stuff. You're going to agree on stuff. You're going to laugh. You're going to be confused. You're going to say, I don't know. You're going to be, uh, you're going to have to think about some stuff and then come back and talk about it as the conversation goes on for two or three hours versus kind of clickbaity, soundbitey, uh, you know, news reel, or just like things that are meant to shock the conscious and then move you on really quickly. 100%. And I think that more of this is going to be good. And we talked about that in an earlier episode with First Form. But I, I wanted to just bring that up because I thought that was really cool. Something else I wanted to bring up um, is, is um, it, it was interesting. So this morning I was in the garage. I was working out with Ava. And she was doing five rounds of 10 of each exercise. And she, she wanted to stop on seven reps three different times. And I just thought to myself, man, you're so close from seven to 10. 
Uh, but I, I guess I wonder how many people get out there and are working out. And it's really, it's, it's definitely alluring just to kind of stop when it gets a little hard, but pushing from that seven to 10, I was just sharing with her, like, that's where the results are at. Because I talked about this on the mind pump podcast, this idea of like micro adversity. And I think that's something we could lean into a little bit is this idea that like in the gym, you have these micro moments where you decide to push through and overcome a challenge. And if we could do that over and over again, I think that there's a huge byproduct in our lives. So for anyone out there who's getting a rep seven, just remind yourself that that little push to 10 starts earning the confidence that you can go start overcoming other things outside the gym. And that was my kind of preachy moment to Ava this morning. I wanted to share. Discomfort, man. I mean, it's, it's, that's where growth happens just overall. I mean, we talk about it all the time and I think that, you know, not, not to bring it back to spoiler alert, you know, a challenge we may or may not be running come January that we're super excited about. But I think that, you know, sometimes because, you know, we're so wrapped up in this world of fitness and discomfort is all about like working out. And like you said, the seven set, and for some people it is, but I think that for us, it's important to realize that, you know, fitness for us isn't discomfort, right? Like, like for us working out every day, isn't where we're going to grow specifically. Like, yes, there are some workouts that will be really challenging that like, you know, really, really kind of get you out there, but I'm always looking. And this is why, I mean, the, the, the cold plunge that I got has been so life-changing. And I don't say that like to be hyperbolic, like getting into water that cold petrifies me. And on days that I'm like committing to do it, I literally get anxiety about it, like the two hours leading up to it. But once I do it, once I get into that 36 degree water and I do my four minutes and I get out, like, I just feel like I like, you know, like got that rep seven to 10 for some people. Um, And that's been powerful for me. But I think that it's important for a lot of people that, you know, think that, you know, working out hard is like their discomfort area to realize that, you know, if it's something that you've been doing and that you love, it's really useful to find other areas where, you know, you might be a little uncomfortable and, and, and get out there. I know that, you know, that's where some of these mundane things that we talked about, about the challenge that I'm not going to spoil here, I think are going to be really powerful for some people because for some people, the workout isn't, isn't really what makes them uncomfortable. It's like, like MDV put it. So it's things that we like hide behind the curtain and don't even want to admit that we're not good at. We talk about this a lot in terms of also the, the context of coaching or, you know, whatever your career is, your job or whatever, like, you know, it's very easy to get comfortable and just keep the flywheel going by minimal effort and just kind of ticking it along and doing the, the bare minimum to get by or doing what's comfortable for you to get by. But that's not where growth happens. That's where eventually you stagnate out and, and kind of fade off into the, the darkness. You know, I think that being uncomfortable, putting yourself in situations where you have to challenge yourself or push yourself, or you have to learn something, or you have to become a beginner, or you're going to give an uncommon level of effort into whatever you're doing. That's ultimately where growth will happen. And, um, you know, that's why I get so wrapped up with this idea of, of coaches mailing it in or showing up late or, you know, wearing their pajamas that they slept in or eating on the floor. It's like, those are all things that are just super fucking comfortable for you to do. And, and whatever example you're talking about, you can make the comparison that that way of comfort. Yeah. It feels good in the moment. Ultimately, you're going to look back and be like, what the fuck did I just do? Why did I, why didn't I push myself harder? Yeah, I use Ava as the example this morning just because it's fresh on my mind, right? It just happened right before we jumped on. But I, I agree with you. Like, And for her, dude, it's a big moment for me. And like, even just getting her to do something with me is a big deal because she likes to swim and do other stuff. But that is her discomfort. And so like, that's big. And now she's able to take that for the rest of her day knowing that she won there. But it begs the question like, hey, what am I doing too, right? If I'm going to ask her to go from rep 7 to 10, well, maybe me going rep 7 to 10 is a piece of cake. Exactly. But maybe... And, and maybe for her, it's tough, but for her, you know, it might be easy to go do something else. And for me, what am I kind of missing out on? And I think, um, you know, for, for, in my particular case, I like to set physical goals. Um, there's probably other ones that I should probably look into. Um, I've been reading, um, actually the dichotomy of, uh, of, uh, the, or extreme ownership. I, I, I actually pulled that out. I, I bought it again, but the point I'm trying to make is like, dude, I did that hundred mile bike ride. I got the rogue invitational, 
Uh, and then now I'm setting my sights on the jiu-jitsu tournament because I like these physical things to kind of keep me kind of feeling uncomfortable, but I should probably start finding other things as well. Like we were talking about for the challenge coming up in the future. Yeah. My, my, my challenge to you, Jay, knowing you and, and hopefully not risking my job on this when I say it would be, those are still comfortable for you and that you finding things outside of the physical realm, you're a fucking beast, bro. Like you, you're a physical specimen. You are a CrossFit Games champion. You're very good at jujitsu. You push yourself an insane amount in the gym. And there are things that are hard in all of those things. I'm not saying that. I love hard training too. I grind. I fucking love it. It's not uncomfortable for me though. There are moments of discomfort, but overall, I still enjoy it. I think that finding something outside of that physical realm will be very, very, very powerful. Um, and it, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be super fucking hard, but I hope that you do really explore outside of that and, and get into something that's like, I don't, I wouldn't never do this, but I'm going to do it and see what's up. And I, I think this is super common in our space because as gym owners and coaches, you know, usually that group of people love working out. They love pushing, like they have a passion for it. That's not where they're going to grow, but every day you're exposed to all of your athletes and members that, you know, like Ava, like that's a huge deal for them. Like for them to even just come in for, to the gym or sign up for the gym is a huge growth for them and a huge moment of discomfort. So we see that so much and we're like, well, we work out, we come in every day. I'm super consistent. Um, but I think that, you know, it, it's important to realize that, you know, it's very different. What's going to be growth for me versus what's going to be growth for, you know, the members and athletes at, at my gym or the ones that I coach, because we have a very different relationship to, to, to fitness. Um, so I think there's, and there's a lot of value in really kind of looking inward and figuring out like, what's that thing that I really don't want to do or even like think about um, and working on that. And that's where the magic happens. I, I, I love it. Um, that video I shared with you guys the other day of, uh, Jocko cracked me up, man. That guy gets me so fired dude, up. Dude, Jocko's on another level, man. Oh, dude. I, I was like, where's he going with this? Dude, I just love like, it because you know he's going to go oh. somewhere. He always starts off like, so today, you know, go get some, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. MBB, you were going to say something. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think about this a lot. You know, I, I think that a lot of people in the fitness space equate how hard I don't want to say hard they're working, but they equate working out to spending time and spending time in the gym to, to, to pushing themselves. But I think you said it really well that like, that's not really pushing yourself. It's not really hard for you. Not working out three or four hours a day sounds hard to the average person who looks in and goes, wow, I could never do that. I could never go to the gym. I could never do two or three workouts in a row. Wow, you work so hard. You do accessory work. You do recovery. You do all this stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, it's impressive. I'm, you're doing a lot of stuff. You're putting a lot of time, effort, energy into the physicality of what you're doing. But it's not super, super hard for a lot of people. There's a next level to this, the Matt Frazier level, the going to the games level, which is a whole nother conversation. But if you're a coach who's coming into the gym and you're working out two or three times a day, but then you're not doing the things that you need to do to do your job better. You're not putting the prep in. You're not trying to push yourself in the emotional realm, the social realm, the mental realm, the, 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 all those types of areas in your life that might be lacking because you're choosing to log three or four workouts in a row. I'm just not impressed by that. I, and that's just my opinion. I, don't, I, I want you to keep up with your physical skills. I think that you, that's really important. You have to represent the program. But I would be far more impressed by someone who's pushing themselves to be better in all those other areas instead of just relying on this like thing that's very fun and ultimately pretty, pretty darn easy to do. Yes, the physicality is hard of it, hard, but the other stuff where you're not looking is way tougher, in my opinion. Damn. MDV yeah, just like, like <laughs> just, just boom, mic drop. I think you're, I think you're spot on. I think there's a large demographic, including myself, right? Who, like you said, um, I mean, dude, I, I get after it all the time, but it's, but you know, I, I do try and I do try and evaluate that on a regular basis of what other things I could be doing to improve the other areas. Um, but I definitely probably spend most of my time in areas that I'm comfortable, right? Like 
like, for example, the workouts. Um, my exploring this new thing at San Quentin University has been really good for me just because it's gotten me outside my comfort zone. I'm sitting there in college classes, learning, and then hopefully in the future lecturing. I think that was a step in the right direction from a business perspective. Um, and then obviously always trying to find ways from a personal perspective, but there's, there's other things like we were talking about, right? Like, I don't want to really mess too, too much with nutrition that much. I don't really want to mess with cold plunges. I, I don't really want to mess with them. Uh, you know, they don't sound that appealing to me. So maybe I should do them, you know, telling you the cold water will change your life. But, um, you know, I, I think another thing that's at least has been super helpful for me is to also like not look at some of these things that you need to work on as like, you know, I'm going to do this for a month. I'm going to do this for, you know, I, I think that a lot of people get caught up in the fact that things are going to turn into habits or really kind of change the way you'd look at them in short periods of time. I think that, you know, really committing to stuff to be like a real, like, Hey, this is going to be a change for a long time is so much more powerful. And MDB, you talk about this a lot and it's, it's people get caught up so much in, you know, doing a perfect 30 days of whatever it is, nutrition, fitness, whatever. Um, and don't realize how powerful it is to, you know, maybe miss a day here and there, but like make it a year of that change. Um, and, you know, you get so much more value by being consistent over a long period of time than being super focused on being perfect for this short period of time. Um, and the thing that's been helpful for me is like, if you look at 30 days in the grand scheme of your life, you know, that it, it's nothing, it's a drop in the bucket. And if you want things to really change, I think you really need to commit to them being bigger changes. And for that to happen, especially with things that like, you might not be comfortable with, whether it's waking up earlier or hydrating or better diet or whatever, you can't just go zero to hundred, right? You can't just go from, man, I eat a lot of refined sugar and a lot of processed foods too. I'm going to have none of that. Right. Um, and well, I think can. that's, some people can, you, you can, you can, but I would argue that the vast, vast majority of people, that's what trips them up. And that's what gets them into this like negative feedback loop of like dieting's just not for me. Like, I just can't do this. Uh, um, and I know that we've had like a back and forth about this, but you I, had, you had me up until that point. I, I'm, I'm telling you, you man, when it comes, until, you had me at hello. No, just kidding. <laughs> I think that, yes, do some people just need to like, you know, look in the mirror and, you know, really kind of like find some discipline and make some changes. Yes. But I think that the messaging of that stuff just doesn't belong um, is a reason that I've, I've seen firsthand is a reason a lot of people just like, well, this isn't for me. And they just go back to their ways. Um, yeah. I, listen, I, I, we, we talk about this quite a bit. I, let, let me, 30 day challenges. Let's, let's start there. Cause you covered a lot. 30 day challenges for me. I love them for the reason that they can inspire change in people who look at something and go, I can never commit to this long-term. Oh man, 30 days sounds really doable. Let me try it for 30 days. It gives people motivation. Yeah. It, it's an incredible motivating factor. You can join in a group. It's a, a digestible amount of time. It's not forever. And hopefully there's some good stuff that comes out of that 30 days that you can carry over into your life that maybe over time, you know, you start to reflect on, you go, wow, it would be great if I could do this for a longer period of time. And you're able to make longer changes. 30 day challenge for me is like motivation. It starts really fast and then it burns out quickly. The doing these things long-term is like discipline. You know, you, you start to rely on the fact that I know I need to do these. I need to make the right choices. I need to do these over and over and over and over again. And that's ultimately where the greatest results are going to lie. But you can also make some pretty uh, strong changes, uh, maybe not as, uh, and definitely not as sweeping as you can long-term, but you can make some good changes in 30 days. So I don't like when people completely shit on 30 day challenges. There is some good that comes out of them. Um, you know, ultimately I do think that I would agree the, with that. The beauty is in the long term and how you develop habits and routines that are sustainable. The nutrition side of things. The one thing that I think I, you and I might not agree on, which is it's become so fucking commonplace for people to eat poorly that when somebody starts to eat healthfully, they start to eat pro unprocessed foods, whole foods only. I'm going to eat like a diet that's really strong and high quality protein and fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds, whatever. 
Like you th throw the starches in there, carbs, the, the rices, the, the potatoes, sweet potatoes, the roots, all that kind of stuff. Somebody else will look at that and go, what the fuck? What are you doing? Are you crazy? How now? How for how is that? I, I just I think that we've conflated uh, comfort and food and junk food and things that like people uh, look at and they want to add into their diet with like what actual food consumption should be like. We should be eating all of these unprocessed things. That should be the mainstay of the diet. The fact that we have these things in these companies that are creating these non-foods, these things that are not anywhere close to resembling food in any part of human history before present day is crazy to me. And the fact that people are out there going, you can enjoy all of these things and there's no bad foods and there's no downside to eating these things, even in small amounts. That to me is straight up untruth. It's telling people a lie. And I, I just don't think that that's a fair way to look at it. Be honest with the nutritional value of these things. Tell people the real story behind them. Tell them about the marketing dollars that are there promoting them. And then allow them to make the decision whether or not they want to eat those things or eat the things over here. I'm not saying never eat junk food. I'm just saying let's be honest about what junk food is. It's not well, Speaking of junk food, food, you know, last night Ashley goes and buys salmon. So last night we have salmon and uh, – um, oh, that, uh, this fake rice, like, it's like, a I don't even know what the hell it is. It's like water. I, I don't know. It's cauliflower rice. It's not cauliflower rice. It's another type of rice. It's like, I, I, I don't know. It's made out of like, let's just say it's cauliflower rice. Okay. So it's cauliflower rice and salmon. That's what we had last night for dinner. And, um, I put some sesame oil on top. It was delicious. But anyways, the salmon for six pieces, they were pretty thick was, $65. Okay. So now we're feeding the family of four plus my mother-in-law is here uh, every night. And so there's uh, five of us. So from a, from a whole food perspective like that, what have you guys found from an expense perspective that you guys have done to kind of make it more economical? And I, I, because I do think there's something, you know, from a financial perspective that makes going to, I don't know, McDonald's or Taco Bell more appealing. And it's very easy. It's, it's quick and fast. Right. But I guess from a purely economical perspective, looking at it from last night, cause I was shocked at how much the salmon was. What have you guys done to support that aside from killing your own pig? Well, just really quickly. So, um, you know, I think the whole myth about eating foods that are unprocessed or less processed, that they are automatically more expensive. That's been debunked a bunch of times. Like, yes, you can buy salmon that's gonna be $20 a pound, but you can also go and you can buy frozen salmon that's a lot cheaper. That probably doesn't have the same nutritional value or the same kind of origin that you were eating, but on the spectrum of foods is better than going and getting the filet of fish from McDonald's. Cost-wise, the salmon that you might get at the supermarket frozen might cost incrementally more than the filet of fish, but there are ways that you can put together an, a mostly unprocessed, pretty high nutritional value diet on a pretty uh, slim budget. And you know, our friend Miranda, yeah, what do you do? Uh, our friend Miranda, you shop at places like that might not be places that um, are optimal to go shop at because you know they they have not great stuff there as well, but you shop at places that have cheaper foods. You find things like a uh, grocery outlet. You find things like, you know, Walmart has grocery uh, portions of their stores that have, you know, really high uh, amounts of fresh foods and things that are better, quote unquote, better for you than others. It, it's, it, you don't have to go to Whole Foods to put together your unprocessed diet or your le less than processed diet. Yes, it's a fantastic place to go. Yes, that store still sells a lot of shit, but it's very expensive. I know, Gabe, you have a lot of thoughts on this, so I want to share the time with you for sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people that are spending a lot of money on healthy foods, it's not even going towards the things that are actually healthier foods. It's like if, if, if you look at the average shopping cart at Whole Foods, people are paying a premium for organic snacks or vegan snacks or things that have these buzzwords that are a lot more expensive but are no healthier. And I couldn't agree with MDV more. Like you can go to a Kroger or you know, uh, whatever, like, you know, the cheapest supermarket is, and you can get like non-organic produce and like just whatever is, 
you know, maybe seasonal and a little bit cheaper and you can get the salmon and the chicken breast and you can have all whole foods to cook and like, you know, feed a family that is much healthier and not that much more expensive than going out and getting a meal at, you know, the McDonald's or the Taco Bell. Now, the problem is that requires cooking, it requires time, it requires education, and that I completely get. But I, this like, this myth out there that, you know, putting on your plate some veggies, a good starch and a protein, and it being something that you cooked is that much more expensive than going out and getting fast food. It just, it does, if you do the math on it, it 100% breaks down. Um, and the other thing, and I was looking on my phone and I couldn't find it. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll, we'll put it in the show notes or something, but there was a, a, a calculation done recently that for every dollar that we spend at the register on a lot of these refined foods, all we're doing is pushing to the future $2 of additional healthcare costs and environmental costs. And this has been calculated, like in terms of how much we're paying for heart disease, diabetes, and everything that's associated with what happens down the road. Like, yes, you might go to the register and pay, you know, a dollar for a box of mac and cheese dinner that has enough calories to feed, you know, a, a, a small family. Like, yes, but there's money that's getting pushed down the line that's going to have to pay for healthcare costs and just environmental costs for that decision at that moment. And if we realize that that's what's happening with the money that we're spending, it, it would behoove all of us to make different decisions than maybe pay $2 at the register instead of one, but you're no longer punting that money to, you know, it'd be expenses that we have to pay as a society down the line. Um, and again, that's a big education curve there, but um, it like the, the economics of it have been done. Like it's, it's clear and it's been proven. Hmm. So how about meal prep? So like um, at our house, we used to, um, get the meal every day. So this is this for a while, Ashley would um, Instacart or go pick up what she wanted for that day. And we did an analysis and it got really expensive. And I remember saying to Ashley, like, I don't know how most people, you know, afford this because I see how much we're spending on food. That's a lot of money. And so then she started shopping on Monday for the whole for Monday through Friday. And it made a big difference for us. We started saving quite a bit of money. I'm curious what you guys do. Do you guys uh, shop on one day for the whole week and, or do you guys meal prep and then use that for like a couple of days? Um, cause yeah, I'm just curious. Well, you know, I, I think if you're Instacarting things every day, if you're door dashing things every day, if you're using, uh, Amazon whole food service every day, that automatically you're going to be spending an incredible amount of money because there are service charges, delivery fees on top of that. Um, it's very easy also to over shop on your phone and to over order on your phone and to order things that, um, uh, you know, when you're in the grocery store, you might not be making those same types of decisions. So that, I think that's one thing for me, what, what works best is I, and I, I prioritize eating well, I don't spend my money on a lot of other things. I spend my money on tattoos. I spend my money on, uh, my jujitsu. I spend my money on uh, food. And that's really about it. Like I, there's some other stuff in there, some friends stuff in there, but like, I don't go out to the bar. I don't like go and have like these weird extra, not weird extravagant vacations. I don't do extravagant vacations. I don't drink a whole lot or whatever. So like, um, it's important for me to eat healthy, healthful food. So I, I do spend more money than probably the average bear on food, but I like to, um, have my food kind of freshly cooked or freshly prepared. So I buy a lot of things that I know will last through the week that I can pull out of either the freezer or the fridge or the, or the cupboard and then make within a pretty short period of time and then consume it right away. So just for example, yesterday I prepared a, a salad that had, you know, olive oil and lemon and salt and pepper on it with two cans of tuna and some chickpeas and some other stuff in there. And that was lunch. And that took me about seven minutes to, to make right today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pull a steak out of the freezer. I'm going to unthaw it in about three minutes because there's something crazy about how butcher box freezes their steaks, which they unthaw in like two seconds. And then I'm going to put it onto the cast iron skillet. I'm going to cook it for about four minutes on each side and then I'm going to eat it. So start to finish prep time to, to mouth is about like 15 minutes. That, that for me is, I like that. I actually enjoy the ritual of doing that and preparing it and then eating it hot. I don't like reheating food. 
Yeah, we um we do the same in that. Well, I mean, obviously, we have a little bit of a unique situation going on. We've we've cut out completely. You know, we don't really buy any meat at the supermarket anymore. We source all our meat either from stuff that we grow on our own farm, or we have a couple of like local farms that we have good relationships with that we like either trade what we have for what they have, um, or we just purchase their meat because we don't yet have beef. Um, we grow all our eggs. We have all our milk. We're planting a garden for next spring. So we'll have all our produce. Um, I'm hoping that by next year, the only thing we have to buy is like, you know, odds and ends like bars or just like little snacks that we like um, and fruit, like, you know, fruit is, fruit trees are actually really hard to like get going. They require a lot of care in the beginning. Um, and even if we successfully plant a, a couple of fruit trees, it'll probably take like five or six years before they start fruiting. So, but by next year, I'm hoping that we're not really buying a whole bunch of food, which is super exciting for us. But right now we buy once a week for, you know, kind of all the veggies, fruits, and carbs that will last us for the entire week. And like MBB said, I, I really enjoy like the ritual of cooking every night. Um, well, every afternoon cooking dinner spe specifically. So we'll just, we have a freezer stocked full of stuff. We'll thaw the night before whatever we're going to cook the next day. Um, and that'll get cooked that day. And, and, and that's our meal. But like MBB said too, like I probably spend a lot more than the average person um, on the actual food that we get. Um, but again, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's super important to us. Yeah. That's an interesting takeaway. I mean, for, for me, for anybody, I don't think many people were like Instacarting or door dashing every day, but we got into some pretty interesting, um, uh, <laughs> dynamics and we were able to fix that pretty quickly and save quite a bit of money. So that was, that was really helpful for us. Um, I did. Yeah. But before, just before we move on, I think that like, you know, the, the, the takeaway that I would want to give people listening is, you know, if budget is a concern, you can really cut costs by, you know, freezing stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a good way to go. And also like frozen vegetables and frozen fruit. One of our favorite snacks now is, um, frozen like little mango cubes. Uh, just because when you actually get frozen produce, um, and fruits, you have to remember that they're picked at peak ripeness. Um, so they're actually much more nutrient dense because they pick them when they're ideal to be picked and then they're frozen. So it preserves them. And then you eat them in that state. When you buy fresh produce and fruits, they actually have to be picked much earlier than peak ripeness so that it makes it through the trip and shitting on the shelves and then have a shelf life. So obviously there's some things that you're not going to want to buy frozen, but buying frozen fruits and vegetables is actually a great way to not have to worry about it going bad. You can just keep it in the freezer until you use it. And it's actually, generally speaking, a lot more nutrient dense than the fresh versions. While we're speaking about food, I, uh, I'm, I'm smoking some ribs. So I, I, I probably smoke wheat meat every other week, um, but I'll be smoking some ribs. I'll let you guys know how they are. I, uh, I just, uh, I got a green egg from a neighbor and, uh, I'm about to go give that thing a shot. So I, th I thought I heard that I probably smoke weed kind of, uh, slip out there for it. Oh, <laughs> no, I, no, no smoky weed. Man. No, that was a, what that a was slip. a college what thing. A that, was, that was a college thing. Um, but I no didn't smoking. inhale. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't inhale, but, uh, yeah, none of that. We, uh, yeah, no, no, it's, yeah. I don't mess with that stuff right now. I don't mind people who do. It's just not for me. Um, you know, no, well, funny you, is during the, yeah. um, during the Rogan podcast, Rogan asked Sanjay Gupta, whether or not he has ever smoked weed before. And you, it's so funny because like, you can tell there's a hesitancy in how he answers and he answers like, yeah, you know, I've tried it a couple of times. I get a little paranoid, whatever, but like the taboo around it still is still exists. Um, I would suggest anybody who hasn't listened to that podcast, they should listen to it, listen to it with an open mind. I don't care what side of the equation you come into it on or exit it on. I just think it's a really fascinating interview and you never see that happen. You never see two people who come in with kind of opposing points of view. I think that there's some stuff they obviously agree on, some stuff they don't agree on, but they actually have a conversation about it. And then, uh, you know, you're able to make your own decisions afterwards. Yeah. We need more of that. Uh, speaking of which, you guys have, uh, well, the farm isn't available yet online, but we do have uh, NC Flex. We do have Last Port Coffee. Um, so MDV, uh, I actually just bought some. It actually got delivered. Uh, I bought some light roast from Mr. MDV. Yeah. And uh, We also sent hey. you four bags when we first launched. 
Yeah. Hey, bro, come on. I support. I support local, man. <laughs> um, and uh, but NC Flex, uh, it's a hell of a program. We get some questions about it. Uh, you know, our NCX program. Um, I actually got a few messages yesterday from people that do jujitsu. And they were saying, hey, which one do you recommend, NCX or NC Flex? And so I thought I'd just kind of pitch that to you real quick, MDV, before we wrap up. I know it's coming up on an hour here. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, which one do you think from a jiu-jitsu perspective, NCX or NC Flex? Ooh, I think it depends on your goals, you know, and what you're coming into it, lacking where your weaknesses are. Um, yeah, jiu players who have been doing this for a while and who roll aggressively or who do a lot of sparring get a lot of cardio. I think that there's a lot of cardio that gets done in, you know, an, an hour session of rolling. If you get eight, nine, 10 rolls in and they're hard rolls for five minutes and you kind of rest between those, that's a lot of aerobic exercise. There's also a lot of static holding and obviously dynamic movement and all that kind of stuff, but you're, you're putting yourself through the ringer there. Yeah. If you are looking at that and you're going, man, I'm just not like physically, I want to be stronger. You can get the results of that through either NCX or NC flex. I think the focus on functional strength and bodybuilding might get you there a little quicker through NC flex. But if you're somebody who's like, hey, I really want to move a barbell every day and then do some conditioning after that, that involves some uh, kind of functional fitness movements, then NCX would be the way to go. The big difference between the two programs is NCX is going to be more, more like a GPP style program, general physical preparedness. You're going to be doing some box jumps in there. You're going to be doing some uh, kettlebell swings. You're going to be doing some jump rope. You're going to be doing some burpees. All those kinds of things are going to be mixed into the workouts with NC flex. You're going to be doing some strength building stuff that will include barbells, uh, occasionally through the week. But then the, the stuff that you're doing after the bodybuilding portion is much more isolation exercises, hypertrophy exercises. You could be moving quickly between sets and reps and movements, and it's going to feel a little bit aerobic, but the main focus is muscle and strength building in that program. In NCX, we want you to get a high level of fitness while also getting strong. Dude, I love it. That's a great answer. So jujitsu guys, check out the NC Fit app. Uh, that program, NC Flex or NCX, both are amazing. And uh, oh, look at uh, Gabe is flexing. So any uh, any any closing remarks here? Or what, what are you guys? Uh, I know we have a call coming up too. We got to talk about some stuff. Oh what, yeah. What, what we got, Gabe? What, what are the closing remarks from Gabe and, and MDV? Man, I mean, there one thing that I wanted to talk about, but we'll save it for the next one. Is um, you know, MBV and I have been talking about NFTs quite a bit. We have, Whoa. I mean, I think the cool thing, Bitcoin on an all-time high. Bitcoin's at an all-time high. We don't know when this is going to release. It might be at an all-time low by the time we get there. <laughs> the way Bitcoin goes, but um, I do think it's interesting that you know, Rogue Invitational's prize purse for the athletes is in part has been invested in Bitcoin. So like, you know, they've been posting a lot how the prize purse has like gone through the roof because of this. Who knows what it is once they actually get it. But I, I just think it's interesting to see it obviously become more mainstream and even now penetrate, you know, the the, the CrossFit and competitive CrossFit space. Um, and I think we can save it for next time to kind of chat with you guys because I know both of you, you know, have some interest in, in, in the crypto world. So kind of see where your head's at, what your experience has been. I'm happy to share mine, but I think it's an interesting topic. And, and I, I, my only takeaway is that I think that we've gotten to the point where everyone can kind of agree that this is going to be a big part of our future in some way, shape or form. Um, how and what, you know, platforms or coins are going to be the leaders is anyone's guess. Um, but I just think it's interesting to speculate where this is all going to go. What are the uses, you know, who's going to do something really cool marketing wise or, or whatever with this stuff. Um, so I'm super fascinated by the space and I'd, I'd love to hear your guys' takes on it. Yeah. I, I think Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, we should definitely have a conversation about it because it's hitting the more mainstream. It's now being incorporated into the traditional stock exchange, except, especially with Coinbase uh, going public. That was, that was interesting. And then with inflation where it's at, you know, inflation is, inflation is at 5%. It's a 30 year high. So, you know, I think people are trying to think about where do they want to park their money and what do they think is going to happen with it? So we should talk more about it. I mean, we're not finance experts, but I, you know, I dabble here and there and we could talk about it. 
furthest thing from finance experts, but we can definitely shoot. Oh yeah, shit. very far from that. Closing <laughs> remarks. Uh, don't allow any bullshit in your life. Don't allow any bullshit in your nutrition. Don't allow any bullshit in your fitness. Don't allow bullshit people in your life, bullshit relationships, bullshit professionalism. Just be above all that stuff. And whatever that means to you, make the best decisions for you. If you need some help, check us out at ncfit, at nc.fit on Instagram, at mdv underscore fit, at underscore Gabe Giannis, and then at the legend Jason Kalipa. Let's go. Oh, man. Phenomenal closeout. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you. That's it. That's it.